This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of The Legal Lounge. If you haven't heard the shows in the first and second seasons, there's plenty of content worth a listen, with conversations and advice about divorce, injury claims and business partnerships. There are also some excellent episodes where you'll hear from local charities and learn about the amazing work they do. You can listen to these shows on your podcast app or by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this podcast, solicitors Katie Baker and Jamie Porter look at the ever-changing landscape of residential evictions in England and Wales. Hi, my name's Jamie and I'm here with my colleague Katie and today we're going to be discussing changes that have occurred recently in relation to the world of residential evictions. Throughout the course of this podcast, myself and Jamie will be referring to Section 8 and Section 21 of the Housing Act. I appreciate this may sound complicated in the first instance, but the point of this podcast is to help you make sense of it all. So the past two years has been a very challenging time for residential landlords. Uh, The numerous lockdowns across England and Wales, coupled with emergency legislation such as the Coronavirus Act 2020, which sought to protect tenants in financial difficulty as a result of the financial impacts of the pandemic, resulted in landlords being unable to evict tenants who couldn't, or in some instances simply wouldn't, pay rent. While such emergency legislation was of course needed to protect the vulnerable tenants from eviction at a time when many were furloughed on 80% pay or suffering a complete loss in income as a result of being on zero hours contracts or losing their jobs, the legislation gave little regard to landlords who were reliant on the payment of rent to meet their mortgages. The only real assistance that's been offered to landlords during this period was a brief three-month mortgage holiday offered early in the pandemic. The mortgage holiday would, of course, only suspend the time for payments. The arrears were still required to be made up, leaving many landlords in a precarious financial position. While eviction proceedings could be started during the pandemic, until 20th September 2021, proceedings were almost immediately stayed. Some evictions could be carried out, but these were often in instances where it could be demonstrated that there was antisocial behaviour or domestic violence, so quite a high threshold. So if landlord commenced a case against a tenant before the 3rd of August 2020 and that set of proceedings was stayed, as so many were during that period, uh, they would be required to give a reactivation notice before the case could restart. The reactivation notice is intended to inform the tenant where the claim against them is up to and also confirms what knowledge the landlord has of the impact of the pandemic on the tenant. Alternatively, the case was commenced after, on or after the 3rd of August 2020, then all landlords are required to provide the court with information about how the pandemic has affected the tenant and their families 14 days prior to a hearing. The purpose of this is to encourage landlords to hold discussions with their tenants as to the impact of the pandemic and promote negotiations. Uh, It's not sufficient for landlords simply to say that they're unaware of the impacts that the pandemic have had. You have to demonstrate that you've made some form of effort to get in touch with the tenant to discuss matters and to establish what impact the the pandemic and its financial implications had on them. In addition to serving these notices prior to the hearing, the copies must also be brought to the hearing as well. And any landlord which attends a hearing without having provided evidence of the service of said notice could find themselves in a position where the court isn't prepared to make an order in their favour. It may also warrant the court making an adverse cost order against the landlord. So if we turn to looking at where we are now, 
Um, as of the 1st of October 2021 in England and somewhat later, the 24th of March 2022 in Wales, the emergency laws pertaining to assured short-held tenancies came to an end. So this means now that the Section 21 notice period, so a no-fault notice, has reverted back to two months, whereas it previously was six. So what we need to be mindful of is any notices that were served before the 24th of March 2022 will still need to wait that full six-month period stated in the notice before any possession proceedings can be commenced, which in theory provides this anomaly whereby some landlords who serve notices just before the coronavirus legislation was lifted will actually find that they're unable to evict their tenants before somebody who had served notice immediately after those laws were lifted. The first thing we would need to discover from a landlord who was approaching us regarding the eviction of a tenant is that we need to understand really the reasonings that they wanted to remove the tenant because the only way that we can appropriately advise is is we know what the real basis is. There's several different ways of achieving the outcome but that very much depends on their reasons behind wanting to remove that tenant from the property. So for example if your tenant was in rent arrears you would look to serve a section 8 notice and we would look to go down that particular route rather than a Section 21 notice. Aside from Section 21, the other common process of removing a tenant would be the Section 8 process. Whereas the Section 21 process doesn't require a reason for the landlord to recover possession of their property, the Section 8 process does require a landlord to cite either one or more specified grounds. Now, these grounds can be categorised as either mandatory or non-mandatory. So where a landlord relies on a mandatory ground, the landlord must establish that ground of possession. And where they do, the court has no discretion in whether to make a possession order, and they must do so in the favour of the landlord. Alternatively, where a non-mandatory ground is cited, where a landlord establishes that the non-mandatory ground has been made out, the court does have an element of discretion in whether or not to grant the order. As part of its process in deciding whether or not an order should be made, the court will consider where the greater prejudice lies, whether that be with the landlord, where it refuses to make an order for possession, or whether it be with the tenant, if it does. However, much before any court appearances take place, a landlord must contend with the issue of serving notice, which is a feature that it shares with the Section 21 process. Similar to the Section 21 process, a Section 8 notice must be prepared in a prescribed format and care must be taken not to make any errors when drafting the notice, as any errors could invalidate the notice and jeopardise any future proceedings. When drafting the notice, a landlord must also consider on what grounds they're seeking possession. Difficulties can be encountered where a landlord only relies upon one ground, and the court either decides that it's not been made out, or, in the case of a non-mandatory ground, it exercises its discretion in favour of the tenant. A common example of this situation is where a landlord is seeking recovery of the property due to rent arrears. The mandatory ground upon which a landlord usually relies when rent arrears are involved is where the tenant, both at the service of the notice and the first hearing, is at least two months in arrears with their rent, where rent is payable on a monthly basis. In certain situations, tenants may either repay their arrears or reduce them to a level which is less than two months. And in those circumstances, where that's the only ground which is stated in the notice, 
the court cannot make an order for possession in favour of the landlord. I think it's fair to say that we see this sort of tactic quite a lot as well and it's something that if a tenant is seeking legal advice either from a solicitor or citizen's advice or, or any other avenue really that quite often they will be advised to try and limit the extent of the arrears they are in in some way and to try and catch up and and even if those tenants can't catch up in full if they are aware that by the time of the hearing all they need to demonstrate is they are less than two months in arrears it places the landlord in a very difficult position if they've solely relied on that particular ground for eviction so I know that you and I would both always recommend that another ground is also cited so there's a fallback position in the event that the, the tenant tries to employ that tactic yeah at least one other ground if not more So there could be various other reasons why you're looking to remove a tenant from your property. Um, Things such as you want to sell the property, or maybe you've decided that you want to reside in the property yourself. In those instances, you can serve a Section 21 notice. This is uh, also referred to as a non-fault notice. As Jamie's touched on with the Section 8 procedure, it's not as simple as just drafting the notice and sending it. You do need to ensure that certain paperwork is in order before you look to serve a notice. The key points here are that you'll need to demonstrate that you've obtained an energy performance certificate for the property before the tenancy commenced, that you're in possession of a tenancy deposit scheme certificate, which confirms that you've complied with all the necessary obligations, and that you've also got a valid gas safety certificate in instances where the property has a mains gas supply. Without having these issues in order, you won't be able to serve a valid Section 21 notice. And and that's why it's so important that landlords are aware of their obligations as a landlord from the outset of the tenancy and to ensure that you keep abreast of changes in the law that could affect existing tenancies. Of course, it doesn't mean that if any of these issues are outstanding, they cannot be remedied. However, it's it's really worth obtaining legal advice before you consider drafting a Section 21 notice or a Section 8 notice to make sure that any notice is served is valid. It can often be really costly and time-consuming to serve a defective notice. And we have so many instances where people come to us when the process has gone wrong or the tenant is challenging the notice and and often those issues could have been ironed out without the hefty cost implications if they'd have approached us earlier on to simply go through matters with them and, and to draft the notice in the correct form. We often come across instances whereby clients approaches and they're keen to remove a tenant for, for a variety of different reasons but unfortunately original paperwork copies of the tenancy agreement uh, evidence of compliance with uh, the laws that were not only in place at the time the tenancy started but also changes in the law that have occurred during the period of the tenancy some of which are are quite lengthy and they just have no evidence of compliance and it makes it really difficult to to overcome some of the evidential burdens that the court places upon landlords when they're trying to evict tenants and so a key point here really is to ensure that you do keep your paperwork in order right from the outset It'll make the process so much smoother if or when you do decide to remove a tenant for whatever the reason. And and I think that's also key for rent arrears as well. It, it's very easy for tenants who are making payments electronically, as is, as is quite often the case nowadays, to maybe slip up on a couple of payments. And in some instances, the landlords simply don't notice. It's important to keep on top of these things and to keep a clear log of what payments are being received and also what attempts, if there is an arrears, the tenant is making to try and catch up with those arrears as this could all affect the advice that we provide you with and ultimately the route we decide to go down with you in respect of 
removing that tenant from the property. That's an important point. Ultimately, the court will only award an order for possession where it's satisfied that the requirements for making one are made out. So the burden is entirely on the landlord. So record keeping and good file management is is always advisable in these circumstances because where in the vast majority of cases, most landlords won't ever need to undertake the process of, of seeking to evict their tenant in the rare situation where they do, it's always good to come prepared. So just on the topic of ensuring that your paperwork is in order for the service of a Section 21 notice, landlords also need to bear in mind the recent legislation dealing with the prohibition of certain fees for tenancy agreements. These are covered under the Tenant Fees Act 2019. Under this legislation, a landlord is prohibited from charging fees in respect of certain items. For instance, tenancy setup fees, viewing fees, credit check fees, inventory check fees, and so on. So as a further consequence of prohibiting certain fees being taken, landlords who are found to have taken these prohibited fees can find themselves in situations where they are subject to financial penalty. And if they are found to have breached the legislation again within a period of five years after the first financial penalty, they can find themselves being subject to a banning order. This banning order would have the effect of potentially prohibiting the landlord from letting or managing properties and holding a HMO license. A landlord who holds a prohibited fee cannot serve a valid Section 21 notice. So it's important to seek legal advice prior to issuing a Section 21 notice and considering whether any of these payments may have been taken during the course of the tenancy. So these issues can be resolved before the service of a notice, which would save the landlord both time and cost in the long run. I think one of the the real issues that we have as well is that landlords are often portrayed as the bad guys in this situation. Obviously, every case needs to be assessed on its merits, but there seems to be some leaning towards the tenant. And as a result, there is, as you've touched on, Jamie, quite a hefty burden upon the landlords to demonstrate what they've done and that they've complied. Um, and that every effort has been made, really, to, to, to show that they have done everything possible here before they look to remove a tenant in some way. We're always battling against that, as we've touched on previously with regards to the Coronavirus Act. The legislation was heavily weighted in favour of the tenant and didn't really give any regard to the landlord and the financial burdens that they may be under. Everybody felt the impact of the pandemic, um, but unfortunately, as will be seen across several areas of legislation, quite often it's weighted in favour of a certain demographic and not another. And, And this, unfortunately, is an area where more often than not legislation is weighted or interpreted in favour of the tenant. Um, and so working with us on an issue like this is, is really important. And I appreciate that in a lot of instances, if you've been managing the tenancy yourself, you've tried to avoid land agents fees or, or estate agents fees, um, managing agent fees in, in for whatever reason, that you may well be reluctant to engage a solicitor. But quite often, coming very early on and having the initial discussions about your options uh, and enabling us to work through the paperwork with you is quick and fairly time and cost effective when it comes to achieving the outcome of removing a tenant as and when required. The point you make about the legislation being weighted in favour of tenants, that translates also to the courts and there are instances not uncommon instances where there is discretion available to a court to make a decision where it exercises that discretion in favour of the tenant. So it is always 
advisable to get as much information and evidence together as you can in order to avoid any situation where there's any element of discretion which the court can exercise in favour of the tenant as opposed to the landlord. One important bit of advice is that you need to tread very carefully um, when it comes to entering the property. Many landlords have keys for the property. There are often requirements for inspections of the property at, at periodic points. But you cannot forcibly enter a property and try to reclaim that property no matter what the situation with the tenant is, with their rent arrears, their behaviour or otherwise. Um, Quite often, landlords get frustrated with the legal process, which, as we've touched on, is is heavily weighted in favour of the tenants and feel really that they need to take matters into their own hands. And and it's it's a very dangerous route to go down because you could actually end up with a civil claim against you in those instances and and this applies even in instances whereby you think that maybe the tenant has abandoned the property you might not have seen them coming and going from the property for some time it may appear that the property is empty there are still processes that need to be adhered to and you need to tread very carefully simply looking at the property and assuming they've gone I'm okay to to enter could land you in hot water and and that's an instance that we come across quite quite often particularly um when the landlord has been trying to get rid of the tenant for a while or they've been a little bit ad hoc with that with their rent maybe falling into quite a few months arrears and maybe briefly catching up again so therefore frustrating the section 8 process to a certain extent yeah i think that's always an important point to remember that as attractive as the self-help option might be that it can result in both criminal and civil action being taken against you which can cost you financially as well as personally the main points that we would like you to take away from today's podcast there are three in total the first is to ensure that all your paperwork is in order from the outset Uh, that involves the tenancy agreement itself but also any preliminary paperwork that you, you need to get in order and that you maintain that don't lose it if you move I appreciate some tenancies go on for a lengthy period of time but to always keep that safe because it's going to contain key documents and, and be a significant assistance to you in removing a tenant either via the section 8 or section 21 process at a later date. The second point is to remain fully aware and continue to comply with your obligations as a landlord and ensure that records of compliance are kept. For example, the energy performance certificate, the gas safety certificate. If you've taken a deposit from your tenant, any tenancy deposit scheme information, uh, any repairs which have been carried out and any rental payments which have been made or missed during the period of the tenancy. And to also bear in mind that if you're a landlord who has a property portfolio which spans over England and Wales, that the requirements for obtaining an order for possession in England aren't the same as those for obtaining a possession order in Wales, and to ensure that your record keeping reflects this. And that's something which is is going to only become more complex, really, as uh, Wales are in the process of reforming their landlord and, and tenant legislation. It appears, once again, that it'll be very much in favour of giving the tenant more protection and so it it really is key that you ensure where you're up to particularly as you mentioned Jamie if you've got properties in different areas to ensure that you are fully up to date with the legislation in both because they are likely to be very different in in the coming years 
Um, and, and so what's suitable in one and what meets the criteria for the courts in one area may not be sufficient in another. And the third point we'd like you to take away today is in the event that you wish to evict a tenant, come and see us, speak to us before you take action. Prevention is better than cure. It's often more cost effective and efficient. Thanks to Katie and Jamie for lending their expertise. More proof that lawyers don't bite. If you need legal help from either of them, please get in touch through lblaw.co.uk. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversations helpful, please remember to follow, review and share the episodes. And don't forget to go back and check out some of the shows from the other seasons. Speak to you soon. That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.